Good morning, and welcome to another episode of Crime Over Coffee. We're your host. I'm Abby. And I'm Erica. And today I'm going to be telling you guys the mystery of the Circleville letters. Today I am drinking mostly just water at this point. I did have a cup of coffee, but it's kind of cold. I'm going to be lame and say I'm just drinking water. Well, I have a cup of black coffee over here in a cute little pumpkin cup. It says this Adorable. witch brews coffee. So how many coffee cups do you have? I don't feel comfortable sharing that number. <laughs> Do, okay, does it count because I have our crime over coffee like inventory of coffee mugs here? Because like... Oh yeah, I forgot we had a bunch of those. We still have... Guys, we have crime over coffee mugs. Yeah, if you want to buy one, reach out to us. And so I still have those. My personal inventory of mugs, I might have to count and let you know. Because I don't know. Okay, sounds good. Enough <laughs> Send that, in your guesses. Yeah, enough that in the cabinet that I'm stacking them in, which, by the way, guys, this is like a four-shelf cabinet that's long. I am double stacking, officially. <laughs> I just feel like every time we record, you have a different coffee cup. <laughs> and I knew you had a lot before, so I'm wondering how much that's changed, expanded. It's expanded. Well, anyway... Grab whatever coffee cup you have or whatever you're drinking and let's dive in. We will continue on with our content for this week's episode shortly, but first we wanted to take a moment to let you know about an opportunity to listen to even more Crime Over Coffee content. By signing up for our Patreon, you can receive ad-free episodes and additional content. To check out this opportunity and sign up for the Crime Over Coffee Patreon, visit www.patreon.com slash crimeovercoffeepod. Thank you again for all of your support. All right, guys, our story today takes place in a small town called Circleville, Ohio. And it is about half an hour away from Columbus, Ohio. And previously, it was known for this annual pumpkin show that it has every year that they'd been having since 1903. They even have this like water tower in their town that is shaped like a pumpkin. That's how dedicated to pumpkins they are. Also, I am a little upset that there's like basically year-round fall town near Columbus, Ohio, that Abby's not taking me to when I visited her. Yeah, I don't know that I've been to Circleville, but I know it from seeing that they have like a fall festival or like a pumpkin patch. I've heard of its relation to pumpkins, but I don't think I've actually been there yet. So I will have to add that to my list. To our list. To our list. This, at the time of our story in 1977, was a small town with about 12,000 residents. And randomly, in March of 1977, letters started being received by the residents of Circleville. And they were all handwritten letters that didn't have return addresses. And it, they all contained private information about people in the town. This is already reminding me of The Watcher. Yes, similar to The Watcher, but also... If you guys have seen the TV show Pretty Little Liars, it's almost that-esque because in Pretty Little Liars, there's an individual named A, like that signs as A, that is traumatizing these high school girls, basically, like terrorizing them. And 
knows all their deepest, darkest secrets and all of their scandals and will send them like text messages about their scandals. And that's what the Circleville writer does at this time. I was going to say, you said this and ironically, I just saw this TikTok the other day talking about Pretty Little Liars. And I I mean, I only watched the first season, but they were talking about how much they like shipped off or shipped the relationship between... I can't remember their names, but the student and the teacher. And like, they were like, I, for whatever reason, didn't think about how problematic this was when I actually watched it. (laughs) Aria and Ezra are the, they, their relationship is, yes, I agree. Cause I watched it obviously when I was a teen as it was coming out. I was like, Mm -hmm. I don't get why her parents are not being supportive of the fact that she's in (laughs) love with this guy. (laughs) It's like. Oh, and now, as you get older, you realize that is problematic as shit. <laughs> also, it makes you question the writers. Like, why were the writers pushing for this so much? They really romanticized it. Very much so. So anyways, that's not exactly what happens, but it is the Circleville letter writer, and he has a lot to say. He also seems to know a lot, or, or she, he or she. One of the main targets of the letters main scandalous person, I guess, in this town at the time was Mary Gillespie, who was a school bus driver in the area. And she was initially accused by this writer about having an affair with the school superintendent, Gordon Macy. So Mary, a little bit about her, she was married to a man named Ronald and they had two kids together. I believe a son and a daughter. And then the superintendent, Gordon, was also married I don't know if he had any kids, but she started receiving letters about this affair, which was something that nobody knew about other than or who they thought was Mary and Gordon were the only ones that knew about it. So the first letter that she receives is Miss Gillespie, stay away from Macy. Don't lie when questioned about meeting him. I know where you live. I've been observing your house and know you have children. This is no joke. Please take it serious. Everyone concerned has been notified and everything will be over soon. Everyone concerned has been notified. I. (laughs) Yes. What does that mean? I don't. (laughs) The other thing is, so there's, I've got pictures of some of the letters and this is one that I have the picture of. And the writing of this individual is super interesting and like blocky. Um, Oh yeah. I'm sharing it with Abby. It's in all caps too. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, like, it's very clean. It almost looks fake. It looks typed. It Yeah, it really does. But it it's handwritten and it's very straight. Like, it looks almost like, like it was written in italics, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got a slant to it. But it's very perfect handwriting. That's what all of the letters look like, is that very straight, perfect, clean handwriting. She proceeds to... Con- have an affair with Gordon or allegedly have an affair with Gordon. And so she receives another letter from presumably the same person that says, quote, this is your last chance to report him. I know you are a pig and will prove it and shame you out of Ohio. A pig sneaks around and meets other women's husbands behind their backs, causes families and homes and marriages to suffer. End quote. I don't think they really know what a pig is. (laughs) I Yeah. They were definitely going with a different... (laughs) Interesting choice of words. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe they just meant like a pig who sneaks around. I don't know. It's just the way that they worded it. Like they were trying to define what pig means and they 
that's not <laughs> the same. But it's very clear that whoever this is, to me at least, they seem personally offended by what she's doing. Yeah, I can confirm at least based on my experience, some of the smaller towns outside of Columbus can be very like straight edge. So maybe they they really are meddling and upset. You know what I mean? Like would be personally offended by someone else's actions like that. Yeah. I, yeah. I think it's part of the small town aspect where everybody's just kind of in each other's business. So like I said, Mary's the main one getting the letters, but there are other people that are getting letters that just haven't been as publicized. So there were elected officials that were getting it, local papers, children, anybody in the Circleville area that felt like there was a secret about them or something that they could kind of bring to light about their private life. That's who the Circleville letter writer was targeting. Mary still continues to receive these letters. And then the writer decides to also start sending them to her husband, Ronald. And the writer starts telling Ronald about this alleged affair that's going on between Mary and Gordon. And one of the letters that he sends him says, quote, you should catch them together and kill them both, end quote. Which, Lord, seems aggressive and harsh. Well, especially when you're upset about an affair and then you're suggesting murder. <laughs> I mean, yo, they're <laughs> I mean, neither one is great, obviously, but he <laughs> probably shouldn't just murder. I, I don't know. I, I feel like he was just trying to piss Ronald off enough that Ronald would feel like going after Gordon. But then it almost makes you wonder, like, are they trying to... I don't know. It's hard because really the main letters that have been released are the ones surrounding this family. Mm-hmm. But the writer was also targeting other families as well. So it's like you want to specifically just be like, oh, well... They obviously hated Mary or they hated Gordon or they hated Ronald or whoever it was. But really, it's just I think they were kind of bored or like whatever. I don't know. They like to listen in on other people's conversations. And Ronald receives another letter that says, quote, Galipsy, you've had two weeks and done nothing. Admit the truth and inform the school board. If not, I will broadcast it on CBS, posters, signs, and billboards until the truth comes out, end quote. That makes it almost sound like some type of disgruntled parent. Oh, yeah. Somebody's, it's interesting that they want them to tell the school board about it. It is really interesting. It's also interesting that the letter about telling the school board goes to Ronald and not to Mary or Gordon. Like, it goes to Mary's husband, who's not involved. Oh, Yeah, I miss that. That is very weird. At this point, Ronald and Mary are like, okay, this is getting a little out of hand. Like, told me to kill you and Gordon and all this different stuff. So they agree that they should take the letters to the police. And so they do. And local law enforcement officers step in and they wiretap phones. They watch houses. They try to work with the Postal Service to intercept letters. They're just trying to do all of this stuff because they're realizing that it really is starting to terrorize the entire town. But this gets them nowhere. So at this point, Ronald and Mary are really kind of frustrated with the whole thing. And they're getting to be really annoyed. And the local police department wasn't able to help. And they decide that they're going to enlist the help 
of Ron's sister and their brother-in-law, Karen and Paul Fresher. So they show them the letters and they're like, do you have any idea who could be sending us these letters? And Paul and Karen were like, yeah, we think we know who it could be. And so they dropped the name David Longberry. So David was a fellow bus driver of Mary's. And apparently he had a big crush on Mary for a long time and had been flirting with her a bunch and would try to make passes at her. And she always kind of turned him down and just brushed him off. And they decided that he was probably really bitter about all of it. And he may have found out about the affair that she was having with Gordon and so he would be frustrated about it and be like listen like let's bring this to light because it's not right and I want her so he also apparently at some point in time and I didn't mention this yet Mary's bus driver number was included in one of the letters and because of they're like well he would know what her number was so that would make sense Paul and Karen decide to write a letter on behalf of Mary and Ronald. And in this letter, they tell him that they know that he's responsible for the hate mail and they're like, you need to stop. Like, just stop writing them letters. And believe it or not, the letters did stop for a short time. And so Mary and Ronald were like, okay, awesome. It was David. Let's just move on. I don't even think they took it to the police. They were like, we're just going to move on. We're not going to do anything about it. David's going to stop because we finally caught him. And So they were kind of really excited about that and just ready to move on with their lives. However, Mary was driving along her bus route and started finding signs that were posted along her route, like on posts and billboards and all of this stuff. And the signs not only contained a lot of stuff about the allegations that had been made in the letters about like Mary and Gordon having an affair, but these signs also contained information about their she was either 12 or 13 year old daughter Tracy and they were frequently referring to her and at times they were even saying stuff about how Gordon was sexually abusing their young daughter Tracy so it was it was really distasteful signs to be posting but they were just all over the place and so Mary would sometimes get out of her bus on this route and take them down and Ronald would drive around and try to take them down all the time so he would drive around before his shift every morning for an hour or two and just take any signs down that he saw after work he would drive around for a while and just take down a bunch of signs like he was really frustrated because somebody was talking so negatively about his wife and his daughter and then like publicly posting it everywhere right and for a small town that was probably even more traumatizing for the kid. Oh, I'm sure. People, I'm sure, knew about it. I think it'd be hard not to, especially if it's on a bus route. Like, there's going to be students from the school that are seeing it. And first off, students around that, kids around that age are not nice most of the time anyways. And if there's these awful things being said about your bus driver or the school superintendent or a classmate, like, people are not going to be forgiving about that all the time. One evening on August 19th, 1977... Mary had decided that she was going to go to Florida to visit supposedly her sister. There's also some speculation that maybe she lied about going to Florida for the week to go see her sister and was actually going to go spend time with Gordon for the week. But 
Ronald ended up receiving a phone call at the house. And so he answers it. And their daughter, Tracy, said that she could hear them shouting in the next room. And so she like went out there to see what was going on. And from the conversation, she could tell that her dad thought that he was speaking to the Circleville letter writer. And so a few moments later, he was like, he hung up the phone and he turned around, told his daughter, he's like, I'm going to go confront the Circleville letter writer. And so he grabbed a 22 caliber revolver and got in his truck and sped off. And that was the last Tracy saw of him. While he was speeding away, he actually ended up crashing into a tree and was killed on impact. Turns out that there was actually a gun, like I said, he'd taken that gun with him, but that gun, when they investigated it, had actually been fired once. And it was like in his lap, a little bit under his body. And so they were like, did he find who he thought was the circle of the letter writer and he shot at him? Yeah. And so they do an autopsy and they get this toxicology report back that says he had a blood alcohol level of 0.16, which is twice the legal limit for those of you that don't know. Mm-hmm. And his family was like, that's not possible. He didn't drink. Like this is, there's something suspicious about this whole situation. And so everybody was very certain that everybody, his family and his friends were very certain that it was foul play, but ultimately the coroner ruled his death an accident. So the family would be thinking maybe that he figured out who it was, went to confront them and then letter guy or girl like forced him to drink to hide the fact that, but how does he make him drive into the, tree so i don't know what the whole their thought process is but here's the thought process that i came up with if we're going with this whole he didn't purposefully drink maybe the circleville letter writer had somehow slipped alcohol into ron's drink ron had drank it and got drunk but was so frustrated that he just drove to go find the guy saw him tried to shoot at him and in the process of shooting him because he'd had alcohol in him and wasn't a typical drinker, ended up losing control of the vehicle while trying to shoot and then crash the car. Does that make sense? That's yeah, my thought process. It just seems like a lot of alcohol to not knowingly be consuming. But that's interesting. I, I mean, would the agree. circumstances of events leading up are definitely suspicious. Yeah, a lot of it doesn't really add up. And it did take me a few seconds when I was looking into it to think of how this thought process would go. But that was... That's where my mind landed, was that I think maybe this is what they were thinking. After his death, the letters and the signs being posted around town still continued. They were, like I said, still targeting other people in the community. So there was this sign that was alleging that the sheriff was corrupted. There was a letter that went out saying that the town's doctor and coroner was sexually abusing minors, which the interesting thing about that is that 10 years later, the town's doctor and coroner, Ray Carroll, was actually exposed as a serial sexual abuser. Interesting. So it it's weird how much the writer was kind of able to know. There, it, there was a lot of private information that they knew. And even they had claimed that they knew about the alleged affair between Mary and Gordon. And Mary always denied that there was an affair going on. However, 
after Ron's death, Mary and Gordon decided to start seeing each other and they came out in a relationship. They said that it didn't start until after Ron had died. But Uh it it does make you pretty suspicious. (laughs) Yeah, I don't feel I I don't feel like it's a far stretch to assume that they did possibly start seeing each other pre Ronald's death. Yeah, I I agree. But, you know, I have no idea what they were doing behind closed doors. So, well, here's a thought or a theory that came to my head. Maybe it was this bigger plan that Marion Gordon had kind of put out there to kill Ronald off. I don't really know. I mean, that'd be a far length, though, if they were also sending letters to other people around town. Well, okay, so I like your theory. However, yes, they're sending letters to other people around town knowing private information. They're also making these, if it is them, they're also putting these signs around town talking about how Gordon is sexually abusing Mary's daughter. Unless that was somebody else that just happened to be doing it. But supposedly that handwriting was the same as what was on the letters. Interesting. So it does make you kind of question it. So they're still receiving letters. There's still things going around. And Mary ends up at one point in time. And I don't know exactly when this timeline was. So this may have been before Ron had died. One of the signs that they she saw about her daughter, she ended up going and like trying to pull it off the fence. But as she was like pulling it down, she noticed that it was attached to this box with twine. And so she took the whole thing home and opened it. And inside of it was a loaded gun that was attached to the twine. And so if she would have pulled the letter, the gun would have went off and shot her in the head. Like it was this whole rigged thing. And so she immediately took the box to the police and they were like, okay, this is a booby trap. This is very concerning. And they had the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation look and trace the serial number and when they traced it they discovered that it went back to an individual named wesley that worked at the local columbus anheuser-busch brewery and so they went and spoke to him and he's like yeah i i did own it however i recently sold the gun and i haven't been in possession of it for a little while now he's like i sold it to my supervisor so like okay who's your who's your supervisor because we'd like to speak to him because this gun is concerning and Guess who, the, guess who the supervisor of this individual is, Abby? One guess. See if you get it. The one person that they thought was it originally? No. It was Mary and Ron's brother-in-law, Paul Fresher. The one that was helping out? Yes. Try to track down? Yes. Oh, no. Yeah, it seems like because of how much it's involving this family specifically that maybe some of the other letters were like a ploy to draw attention off of them. It could be. I would agree. And so the weird thing with it is Paul had always, with everything with Ron's death, he had been pushing that it was a, he had been murdered. He did not agree that Ron accidentally went off the road that night or that he had alcohol in his system. And he kept telling the sheriff's office, you need to take a closer look at this case. You need to take a closer look at this case. And so I find it interesting that Paul, like if he was the one writing the letters and involved in all of this, that he was the one doing that. And actually, now that I'm saying these words out loud, the other thing that I just thought of is he had wrote or whoever the Circleville writer was had wrote a letter to the sheriff saying how corrupt he was and was talking about 
like the coroner and everything did the sheriff and the coroner kind of work together and fudge the toxicology report to say that he had alcohol in his system and that's why he crashed mm-hmm. that's a good thought anyways i mean that's a whole different theory but it is interesting so investigators go to interview karen paul's wife and the two of them were actually in the middle of a divorce and so karen says nope i believe it my husband paul well soon to be ex-husband is the circleville letter writer and she's like this is the evidence that i have these letters are throughout the house that he's like planning on sending out to people yeah what and what was his explanation about the gun being there so he said that the gun had actually been stolen weeks prior he's like somebody took that gun from my house which i guess could be a way to frame him so they conduct a polygraph on paul and ask him about the gun and he fails the polygraph and they're like you're lying about something so paul is still saying he has nothing to do with any of it at all nobody believes him and he is arrested for attempted murder during the trial paul was had been accused of attempted murder but they never charged him or accused him of writing the letters and so it was weird that the judge allowed 39 of the written letters to be brought into the trial. He was writing a lot. <laughs> yes. There were a lot of letters in this whole town. Dear Lord. There were, I read somewhere, there were over a thousand letters set in total. I guess they were probably using those as a way to like connect it to him saying, you know, he was in possession of these, maybe his handwriting matches, that kind of jazz. Yeah. They were trying to see if it matched the writing on the booby trap. And Mm. there was some similarities, they said. And there was apparently an expert witness that was like, nope, he definitely was the one that wrote them. There's been a lot of speculation about that that I'll get into in a minute. And one of the things that Paul did, that Paul's lawyer did bring up during the trial and ask the jury was who hated Paul enough to get him into trouble? So who could have framed Paul? And he's like, if you read the divorce decree, who's the one that's going to profit financially if paul is convicted and goes to prison and that would be his soon-to-be ex-wife karen and they were not in the middle of an amicable divorce like they were in a very disgusting aggressive divorce and so he's like it's definitely concerning and makes you wonder if it could be her and then that's why the letters were in their house either way the jury ended up convicting him in 1984 of attempted murder and he was sentenced to i don't i don't have it on here i read it at one point like between 10 and 20 um 20 years or something and so everybody's like okay cool letter writer is behind bars let's move on with our lives and paul spent the next 10 years in prison for the attempted murder of mary he wasn't how he wasn't allowed pens or paper while behind bars but the letters continued the entire time paul was in prison he wasn't allowed to have pens or paper no they took that away from him because of the potential for him to write these letters interesting but the letters still continued to be sent in paul even received one (laughs) what did it say was it kind of like ha sucks to be you kind of i said quote fresher now when are you going to believe you aren't getting out of there I told you two years ago when we set them up, they stay set up. End quote. Made it sound like he was an accomplice in whatever was going on. 
that was one of the last letters to be sent. So they brought in a bunch of people, FBI profilers, all these people to look at the letters and compare it to Paul's handwriting. And the letters officially stopped the same year that Paul was released from prison, which is weird. The, the entire time he was in prison, no letters were being sent or well, letters were being sent while he was in prison. And then he gets released and suddenly the letters stop. But that's whatever. He still maintains his innocence, claims he had nothing to do with it. They investigated it and it's kind of split. Like people talk about the unique letter G that was written in it. It was written very uniquely compared to other letters. And so people are either completely split. There's been forensic people that have investigated it and they say, yes, he for sure wrote it. No, it was for sure not him. It just depends on who you ask, I guess. They also did question if it was his ex-wife, Karen, who had done it. There was supposedly also, so his ex-wife, Karen, had a boyfriend at this time and her boyfriend matched a description that somebody gave of somebody that they saw near the booby trap crime scene prior, like what it was being set. So maybe it was Karen and her boyfriend at the time. They were trying to get rid of Paul. Yeah, I don't, I mean, it doesn't seem... I wouldn't be surprised if there were more than one person involved with this. It's a lot of work to do for being just one person. I agree. So in December of 1993, which the letters were still being sent around this time because Paul was still in prison, they, the Unsolved Mysteries TV show came to Circleville to investigate. And while they're there, they received a letter that from the Circleville writer that said, quote, forget Circleville, Ohio. If you come to Ohio, UL sickos will pay. Signed the Circleville writer, end quote. They were probably living for that. Oh, I'm sure they were so. Production. Yeah. Yeah. So either way, that's really the end of it. I mean, Paul asked in Unsolved Mysteries to really look into the case, look into the letters, because he's like, I didn't do it. I didn't write the letters. This was not me. And they tried, but this case while it has been closed it's never fully been solved because there's a lot of speculation as to whether or not the the letters really did come from paul which i kind of feel like there's no way that they came from paul since they continued the entire time he was in prison but there's just i mean there's a lot of unanswered questions with this entire case and around paul's innocence what do you think, Abby? I find it almost hard to believe that Paul wasn't involved in one way or another with his, for the simple fact that his gun was found at the crime scene, quote unquote. And I'm guessing too, because a jury convicted him on it, there was probably some more evidence that was connecting him. Do I think someone else was involved? Probably, especially if he wasn't able to like write the letters when he was in prison. Unless there was just, you know, a copycat who was really good at imitating handwriting but i would i would guess he was involved one way or another and that there was probably another person at least one other person that was either an accomplice or a copycat i will let you guys know paul has since passed away and the entire time that throughout his life he continued to maintain his innocence if you guys want to let us know what your thoughts are on the case do you think paul was innocent do you think he had a part in it do you think it was solely him Let us know what you guys think, and we will be back next week with another episode for you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Crime Over Coffee. 
You can find us on Instagram at Crime Over Coffee or on Facebook at Crime Over Coffee Podcast, where all of our photo and video content for each episode can be found. You can also email us your thoughts and case suggestions at crimeovercoffeepod at outlook.com. All of our sources can be found in the show notes for each episode. If you would like, you can support us by going to anchor.fm slash crimeovercoffee. You can also support us by recommending us to friends and family, giving us a good review on Apple Podcasts, or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>